0: The Pasty Tapes Fan Club is your way of unlocking exclusive merch, some fun bonus content, and hearing more from me. Show my more. If you want to join the Pasty Tapes Fan Club, visit thepastytapes.com.
1: Hello, ducklings. This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to the Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pasty Tapes. I am your host, My Moore, the steamiest Asian dumpling, recording live from my bed in Chicago. Thank you everyone again for coming back, for tuning in. I know it's been a while since the last episode. I think it's really cheesy to say this, but like it's wild times right now. We're all dealing with a literal pandemic and we're dealing with that in our own way and I'm dealing with it in my way, which, you know, has been weird and hard. And I honestly didn't realize that it's been a month since the G's Louise and Lola Van Ella episode, which has never been my intention to go that long without an episode that wasn't part of the plan. I have interviews that are queued up and edited that I just need to record the intro to. But Times are hard. And I just wanted to say it out loud because I think that would help. This is, I know, like super vulnerable or whatever. But I mean, right now I'm still working my day job, which I'm very grateful for, which is a very strange thing to say in a weird, like capitalistic kind of way. And that's really stressful. And I'm keep falling into these black holes of time where everything is running together. And I have things to worry about and not worry about. I've also been having a hard time sleeping and staying awake. Uh, A lot of you know that I'm narcoleptic, so it's just been weird being really tired but not actually being able to sleep at the same time. I don't know. It's a lot. I know a lot of us are going through this. And then with that said, I've been putting a ton of pressure on myself to be productive, you know, to put this out and beating myself up for not reaching out to people to have interviews when, you know, I'm not stopping to think, do I even want to talk to people right now? Do they want to talk to me? Is this how we want to use our spoons while we're trying to survive? And so that's been really hard. But I just wanted to share that. I thought it would be helpful for me and maybe helpful for someone to hear that it's like totally okay if what you're doing right now is surviving, whatever that looks like. And it's great that there are lots of people out there who are churning out new things, putting together new costumes, putting together like, you know, new interview shows and digital shows and all of that. Like, it's beautiful. I love it. It's just not what I was able to do in the last month. I again, just fell down a black hole of like not being able to do anything. But we're here. We're here now. Um, Again, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope it gives you a little bit of entertainment for whatever kind of day you're having. So again, thank you for being here. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. This episode was recorded sometime at the beginning of the year, I want to say like right after New Year's Day. So definitely pre COVID times. We did this interview in person. It was a ton of fun. We had basically a whole day of hanging out, and it was lovely. I really adore this guest today. But more importantly, my burlesque love of my life, first instructor, my moon and stars, chandeliers, this is a person that Shan really, really admires. If you ask Shan who are her top five most influential burlesque performers in her life, this person, hands down, consistently is in that top five. My guest today is Chicago-based burlesque performer, 2013 king of burlesque, all-around extraordinary performer, choreographer, artist, and total sassy pants. This is my interview with Ray Gunn. Today we're in person in Ray Gunn's new Chicago apartment. The new digs.
1: The new digs. Yeah. Yeah. It's... uh. It's it's going to take a little time to get used to cuz well, it's not the old place. <laughs>
0: this is like what day two.
1: This is day 2. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
1: like yesterday was the official like we had finished moving the last of everything. And it kind of felt like like a sitcom where it's like it's the end and then it's like, you know, the doors closing and like all of that stuff. And yeah, so
0: Yeah. Okay, you posted a video on your Facebook of the apartment, the old apartment, being empty. Yeah. And lots of people reacted to it. You've had, like, lots of show ponies come through. How long were you in that place?
1: Uh, ten years. Okay. Yeah, Bazooka was there for 12. That space was just kind of... You know, it it became like the... It was like the Chicago home for wayward strippers. So anybody that was coming through, if they needed a place to stay, like, we always... It was always open, and we would have... Like, we had shows there, rehearsals. I can't count. We had countless summer rehearsals there. Tons of acts were developed there. The acts, actually, the the act that I won, Behoff, was developed there. The act that the Vertical Sideshow did at Behoff was developed and rehearsed there. So it's just, you know, so it was really tough to kind of, with all of those memories and having, like, you know, all of this kind of rich history in that space, it was hard to just kind of walk away from it. I know that uh, the energy of that place definitely kind of came into play and, like, kind of affected the, the kind of performance stuff that happened. In there sometimes, so I think that it'll be interesting to see what type of art is developed here in this space. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. It'll be interesting.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me to your new home.
1: Yeah, you're actually our first guest.
0: I'm your first guest?
1: First guest, Oh my
0: god, I didn't (laughs) know. Okay, well, I'm really glad I brought a housewarming present. Uh Let's jump into this thing. All right, let's do it. Okay, Ray Gunn. Tell me your burlesque origin story.
1: My burlesque origin story. Okay, so there was another performer named Hot Toddy. As he himself was starting to get more into burlesque, um, he had asked a bunch of just local kind of dancers to do backup dancing stuff. Then in 2010, I believe it was, either 9 or 10, he competed um, and won King. And then after he won, he came back and he's like, "Hey, I want to start. I want to start an all male group." And he sent out. It was a mass text that he had sent to a bunch of people, and myself and Bazooka and Jet were the three that showed up. So we showed up to the meeting, just thinking, "Oh, well, we're just gonna do a few things here or there." And he was like, "Okay, so I've got you guys a weekly show, and..." Um, You've got uh, your first show's coming up, I'll choreograph your first acts, you've got a photo shoot, and go. So we literally, like, got thrown right into it with a weekly show, right from the beginning. What? (laughs) Yeah, we, um, so a lot of it in the very beginning was, it was a lot of figuring it out. Boylesque was never, like, you never really, like, that term was never even heard of. So guys doing um in the very beginning, guys doing burlesque. The reaction was always, uh, oh, so you do drag? And it's like, no. And it's like, oh wait, so so let me get this straight. You're a guy doing burlesque as a guy. It's like, yeah. It was very yeah, it was a lot of times talking to people, it felt like they were they were having a conversation with an alien species for the first time. So it was very interesting. You know, it was hard for people in the very beginning. We started off at um, this venue called Spin, and then it got moved to Hydrate. Once it got moved there, we actually started doing, like, we had more freedom. at that venue, we were able to really develop. We were starting to do things more with um, people in, in the scene. So we also met the the Dolls of Doom, mm-hmm. who we started doing performance stuff together with. And we were doing stuff together as Nuts and Cherries. Through the Dolls of Doom, they had suggested that we do festivals. And they were like, "Oh, you got to do, you know, festivals." And we we didn't even know that that was a thing. The first festival that we applied to was. Um, a festival that's no longer around. It's called. It was called Bomb, and it was Best of Midwest Burlesque Festival
0: in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So we applied to it and we got accepted, and then we realized that we were going to be in Minneapolis in January because that's when it was. And I was like, "This is not. This is this is a
0: uh, a true Midwest <laughs> Burlesque
1: experience." Yeah, exactly. So um, we were performing as a trio on Thursday night, and we were so nervous. Lola Vanella was the one who was uh, introing us. Um, we were we were backstage, we were waiting, and it was like, it just seemed like an eternity. So Lola's a talker, um, but that's fine. You know, we love her anyways. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> she was introing us, and we were just like, oh my God, Just we just wanted to get on stage because we were backstage, and we were just so nervous. And then we, we did our acts. That was... That was, I, I would say, the Johnny's kind of, like, coming out story. Because, like, after we had... After doing Bomb, people were like, who are these people? And how, like, they wanted to know who we were. And, like, we blew up after that.
0: Yeah, and this was, like, soon after you became a thing. Soon after yeah. you started we, Burlesque,
1: Yeah, right? we were maybe... We were probably in, like... We were almost... Maybe close to like two years in, if okay. that. Like it was super early, yeah. yeah. And then it just it just kind of blew up from there.
0: Did you work with Bazooka and Jet prior to Hot Toddy's gigantic text message? So
1: I knew Bazooka from the the dance community because he had a he had his own dance company, um, a company that I was the artistic director of. They had worked together prior to, so I knew him from that. And I met Jet working on a show called uh, Chicago Takes Off. It's a big charity event for T-PAN, which is Test Positive Awareness Network. Toddy and this guy named Keith Elliott were the producers of this big show, and they brought all these dancers together. That was the first time that the three of us who would become the Johnnies had actually all, like, we were all on stage together for the first time.
0: Give me a little bit of, like, slice of life as a stage door job I
1: mean, in the beginning, it was just kind of surreal to go to another city and then there are people that, like, you know, know who you are. You have to figure out the best ways to kind of maneuver those situations because, yeah, it's just easy to kind of lose yourself if you don't stay kind of, I guess, a little bit grounded in that. Especially in the beginning when, like, we would go places and people were, like, freaking out. We would do shows, and then afterwards, it's, like, you want to go to, like, you know, you want to go to, like, an after party, and then, like, you show up, and there are all these people, and, like, you know, you're being, like, mobbed, and, like, you know, you're, you can't just, like, just sit and, like, just chill with people, you know, because, like, suddenly, it's, like, you're no longer just, like, Ray. It's, like, oh, my God, I'm here with, you know, you know, a or Johnny, and you're just, like, yeah, I'm still, still just a dude, and it's a dude right. that got on stage, I was on stage with you guys, and Now it just wants to chill and have a drink.
0: How do you handle that? Like, you and I have talked about this before, like, on a personal level. Like, this idea of celebrity, and then especially, like, celebrity in burlesque. So, at this point in time, and, like, still now, I would argue, like, just seeing you in crowds, like, seeing you out and about, like, that reaction, like, still happens. And, I mean, we're obviously very grateful for it. But how do you handle that?
1: Uh, (laughs) I have learned the art of the ninja where I like you I have I've learned to to be able to come in, be present and then disappear. I I like I'm I'm social and I, I appreciate and I love you know, I love the the acknowledgements for you know for the things that I'm doing, but like I don't take myself that serious so like it's okay if people don't take me that serious. They can just chill and, like, talk to me. That's mm-hmm. totally fine.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cat Wings wants me to ask, what's the craziest gig that the Stage Door Johnny's ever got? In your point of view, what's my the craziest of, gig in, that y'all have done? In my
1: point of view, huh. This isn't, like, the craziest, but, like, something that from a gig that we, especially in the beginning when, when we were, starting to like do different tours places and what have you because people were excited to see us we were always invited to different things and one of the places that we got a chance to go to was this place called the box in new york and the box is if you're if you're a performer like if you're a performer in this industry of any ilk you go to the box because the box is a place like Going to the box for me definitely, and seeing like there's one performer in particular that I saw, and their name is Rosewood, and Rosewood refers to themselves as a gender assassin, and I can honestly say that to this day, like I Ro, Rose's performance is one that it's still so, it's I can still see it in in my mind so much so that like. Should I describe it? I mean, it's, should I, sh- is it, can we, because it's pretty, I mean, it's It's pretty raunchy. Can we go into it or no?
0: No, just <laughs> sure for podcast, you can do whatever it. you want. Excellent.
1: Okay, <laughs> we're in New York for the very first time. Tigger had brought us out to do his show at Coney Island. First off, like, we were kind of like, it was kind of one of those where, like, we got there and, We were still fairly new to everything and still just kind of getting used to the way everything was. And I always, when people ask me about, like, New York now, I always say, oh, well, New Yorkers are quick to just throw their dick on the table, which was kind of how, like, was kind of how it was at Tigger's show. You know, it's like we're talking to everybody and everything, and everybody's just kind of just naked. And, like, it was literally like you'd go up to somebody, you'd go to say hello, and they just throw their dick on the table and say hi to you. You know, and it was like, that was kind of that was kind of the thing. At the at the end of Tigger's show, he was, <laughs> he had said, he was like, oh, so the way that I end my show is with a, it's with a golden, I, I, I end it with a golden shower. And we're all like, uh what and he's like yeah so I take you know and all the performers have wine and I'm in a bucket we had these things so and then we would squirt it on him so it looked like we were peeing on him and then he would take that and like dish it in the cups and then he would go and give it to the audience and then that was the end of the show it's like huh okay all right all right, you know, we're in New York. This is, this is a very different place than where you know what I'm used to, so I'm just going to go with it.
0: Right, we're outside of the right, exactly. lonely Midwest. Yep. We're in the we're big just, city we're, now. We're in
1: the big city now, so we're going to go with it. So we did that, and the show went well, which also at um, Tigger's show, that was the first time that I had ever gotten a standing ovation for one of my acts, and I was doing... Um, I was doing Morpheus and I remember at the end of it, normally at the end of the act, I kind of like run off and there was this kind of banister and I remember running and leaping over it and then disappearing behind it and, you know, hearing the audience and then like Tigger coming back and grabbing me and bringing me back out and the audience was like going crazy. And it was like, that was like a new, you know, it was like, it was to, to, I knew that just from, just from, like, the performers that I had already met and just kind of the way people were, I knew that them cheering like that was, like, it was, like, a legit thing. Like, new, I was, like, New Yorkers are not going to give me the time of day if they don't believe it. So to, to be, to get an, a standing ovation there was, like, amazing. And then afterwards, we, you know, I was, like, oh, what do you want to do? And then they were, like, oh, Rosewood would like to meet you and has um, set it up so that we could go to the box to see them perform. And we we're like, oh, what's the box? There and it was like, oh, well, the box is this place. And like everybody's kind of giving these very kind of generalized, like very ambiguous descriptions of it. And we're like, okay. So so we all end up going. It looks like you're almost like kind of stereotypical, quintessential, like New York club. It's like, it's very dark and like All the lights were kind of blacked out, and you just see lights, and there's this long line of people and, like, limos coming up. And, like, you know, the big guys standing outside with, like, their earpieces and, like, the whole thing. So we walk up to this place, and it's like, huh, okay. And then um, from this little side door, we see somebody kind of peek out and, like, you know, wave us in and it was rose we go in and we go through this side door and we go through the kitchen and like and then when we turn the corner and the door opens uh they're like oh here's your seat and we were literally sitting on the stage on the stage yes so we're just sitting and they're like oh yeah this is these are gonna be the best seats so we were sitting on the stage when the show started
0: guest of honor yeah right
1: so Like, the very first act was... It was a guy who came out and he was... He was doing, like, a silks act, but, like, he was naked. Like, it was just really cool because, like, I hadn't seen anything. Like, the it was this very abstract kind of take on just the forms and stuff that he was making with his body was really interesting. And just the fact that he was completely naked doing silks, I mean, that's brave. Like, that's brave. So, um... So as the night progressed um, and it's starting to get late and then it's Rose's act and the the curtain opens and like the, it's super foggy and you can see Rose. So Rose has these very kind of like 90s pulled back like that windblown early 90s like drag kind of eye like that severe pulled back face and these huge Pamela Anderson tits and these big sculpted muscular arms and this tiny little waist so and so Rose is sitting on this chair and it's the Whisper Song by the Ying Yang Twins which in this context is really like it it it's a disturbing kind of like image, and you see Rose and Roses duct taped to this chair, and you see you see them like squirming, and they pull the tape um, away from their mouths, and like like a little bit of blood comes out of their mouth as Rose is pulling away the tape. You can see like the kind of like welts from the, the hair being pulled away on their body. And then there's a moment in the music where he says, uh, where he's like, wait, do you see my dick? And then sure enough, Rose pulls down and plops out this this juicy dick, just plops out, and there's all of Rose. And so then Rose stands up and like does some other things, and then stops, kind of looks around, reaches back, and pulls a full Jack Daniels bottle out of their ass, drinks the entire thing, and then puts the Jack Daniels bottle back, and then sits back in the chair. And the fucking audience went crazy. And I turned to Bazooka and I was like, I've never felt more Midwestern than I do right now, at this fucking moment, seeing this. Yeah. That's the look, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'
0: okay, I just like reclined on this couch and my hand is on my forehead, and I'm trying not to do a very Midwestern thing and just mm-hmm. say, "Oh dear,
1: yeah, yeah, so and then it was hilarious because like so the show's over, and so we go backstage and we meet Rose and they were one of the loveliest people, just you know, and then they they said they were like oh, I was so. I was so nervous, you know, knowing that you guys were there and I was just kind of in my mind like in my head I was like, How you're I'm I'm standing here with you right now and I'm nervous, you know, like how could you be, you know that so, you know, fierce enough to do something like that on stage and you're nervous that I'm in the audience? Like, you know, it was just crazy. And seeing that per, seeing that performance it kind of it was like okay there that's the ceiling you know so if that's that's pushing like that's taking things and that's pushing it to like those are the boundaries and it's like okay so that's as far as I can go you know it's like that's that's the ceiling like that is you know that's it that's the extreme you know and it's like and to this day I still I still consider that act and that performer to be one of the smartest and most genius acts because because it's an act that I saw that it's been over like it's been over eight years and I still remember all of it like I did the very first time that I saw it and for an artist to be able to like, paint a picture so vividly that you never forget it, like, I I hope that I can achieve that at some point.
0: How did this act or this experience with the Johnnies, or I guess really this act, right, this moment, how did that change how you do burlesque? Like, this is pretty early on
1: in your burlesque career. Yeah, it was super early on, and it just, it just, it made just to see just to see somebody doing something so fierce and just you know like unapologetic you know and and it wasn't a you know it wasn't it wasn't this kind of gross act or you know it was like it was just this person giving this fierce experience to the audience and delivering it Delivering it in a in a way that was so genuine that it's like you couldn't deny it. You know, it's like here, here's me. I'm doing this. I'm allowing you to take part and to see this, and um, and you're you're entitled to to react and judge it and however you want to. However, that's not going to change me or the way that I'm doing this in this moment. And so, yeah, it was like so that was definitely something that I took from it was, you know, living in that like as a performer living in that moment and being being that just kind of like like fierce creature in that moment and, like, not worrying about anything else, you know, yeah. in that moment. Yeah.
0: I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's an incredible story. Where does your inspiration for your acts and, like, your overall style come from? Like, where did Ray Gun come from? It's
1: a big conglomeration of all of these other things, like, it's my... My dance experience um, has a huge part of it. Um, I pull inspiration from like comic books. I'm a very I'm a very visual person because as a kid when I started doing gymnastics and then I started to realize that I could I could make my body do the things I was seeing the comic book characters doing, taking from that like from those influences and like even taking it even further. so it's like, well, I can make my body do this, now it's like, oh, now I can, now if I dress like these characters too, you know, it's the same thing. Or, like, with, or just, like, different movies um, that I've seen that, like, I really like, and taking feelings from those movies or, you know, things like that, and then realizing that I can start to kind of put that stuff on stage. Be- I became a dancer in college. But so my freshman year, I had to take a dance class. And I was originally just taking it as a blow-off. Because okay. I was like, ah, you know, like because I knew I wanted to, because I was an athlete um, all up and in, into college, and I knew I wanted to do something um, physical. And um, somebody suggested a dance class. And so I took it as a just a blow-off class, and I was like, oh, it was fun, um, and then um, at the end of the semester, we saw a professional dance company, and at the end of that show, I walked out, and I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, because I had seen, like, that was the moment that I saw something that kind of embodied all of these things that kind of I th- were important to me. So yeah. it was, like, it was, you know, it was art and, like, the the physicality of it and just all of those things. And, like, so that's how I kind of started into dance. As I moved into dance more so, like, I started, you know, seeing, like, things like capoeira and different things like that. And, like, all of these still kind of held on to, like, seeing, uh, like, the old kind of, just, like, the cinematic, like, backing up a little as a kid I always wanted to be a stuntman, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, so action movies and different things like that it was all, all, have always kind of been a part of it. Seeing all of that and kind of slowly starting to put it together—that's kind of what informed me as a dancer. I had a a mentor um, say to me, he was he would always say, "Use the whole chicken, you know, use everything, like use every every influence that you have or everything that you're interested in in your work." And so as I became a, um, as I started to get into burlesque, I just kept that same idea of use the whole chicken. So it's like, so things from my childhood, you know, um, are, have just as much influence as like, you know, my schooling or like even just movies that I see, you know, visually, things like that. So it's like, I use the whole chicken and like, Sometimes it's amazing, sometimes it's just weird, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's like you know as i I'm a firm believer that you know, as an artist, like one of one of one of the things that I should always be doing as an artist is i should I should be um, I should be taking risks because because that's how art evolves, um and that's how we as artists evolve is taking risks and learning from those risks and then you know, questioning and what have you, but without taking those risks, you don't have those questions, and then we become stagnant.
0: In your burlesque career, tell me about one of your greatest risks.
1: I would say, and I would say it's a, it's it's a, it's a risk that like I take always is like always trying to never do the same type of act twice.
0: Okay, yeah, I so. see that right, and that's one of as. A performer who's like starting to build up, you know, their menu mm-hmm. of acts and everything, that's one of my biggest fears, mm-hmm. right? Or or sometimes you hear people say, Oh well she
1: Right, exactly. She, she's doing the
0: same thing, just a yeah. different and, song. Mm-hmm. You know And that's
1: like for me that is the that's like the worst thing that that's the worst thing that you can say to me yeah. as a performer is like like if I do an act and it's like, oh yeah, you know, that's like that's like blah blah blah. And it's like, no, like, I don't, I always want, I always want to be a chameleon with those, you know, it's like, I want to be able to, like, do different things, like, and, and I'll be the first to admit that sometimes, like, they don't, all, they don't all land. They don't. But the ones, even the ones that don't land, I learn from. And, you know, as long as by the end, by the time the act is over, it has helped me evolve to, to get to the next level. I'm okay with that. I think that it's it's just an, it's just as important to bomb on stage as it is to like be successful. Yeah, Julie Atlas Muse says the best thing a performer, a young performer, can do is to go on stage and suck. You know, because you learn like you learn more from like bombing on stage than any time that you know like you get a standing ovation. Yeah,
0: <laughs> last time I was here. You were telling me about a recent bomb that you had. And it was, you know, we don't need to go into that. That's fine. Um, But hearing you tell that story or hearing you talk about bombing, Uh I think was so important for me because it was like, oh shit, like even Ray Gunn bombs, Uh even Ray Gunn at this stage in his career, right, like a decade in you know, being flown out for a gig on a stage with a bunch of other performers that I admire, even that happens.
1: Yep. Yeah. And, no, it does. And um, so...
0: And it's okay. I mean, it sucks in the moment, uh, right? It's allowed to suck in the moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, well, and there, and so, I. okay, so I will talk about one in particular that happened here um, in Chicago, so... I was, so I was doing this show, and it was, it was one of those, like, it was literally just a perfect storm of all of, like, all of the thing like, all of the worst possible things that could, could, like, just be combined together, so I was doing, I was doing an act that was very intimate and very, like, kind of in your face, um, thinking, because my my understanding was was that this was an audience that was kind of into that, and quickly found quickly realized too late that this was an audience that was not. This was a this was a I'm here to watch. I am not here to be a part of. Oh, I do no. not want to be. So and the act that I was doing it's one it's one, it's called Candy Flipped, and the the whole the whole shtick of the beginning of the act is I have suckers and, like, you know, I start off and I have one in my mouth and, like, and I go to feed it to someone and I either give it to them or I throw it behind my shoulder. And it's very kind of cheeky. And then, so, then after that, like, I pull, like, as I take things off, like, it reveals other suckers and then I do the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, the whole first part of the act. Mm -hmm. And it bombed so epically hard like i Wait, mean okay, I've,
0: seen, I've seen that before right you've done that at yes. Nashville, right yeah and it like, yeah it was insane mm-hmm. people's reactions were people who got the suckers were like oh my god never yeah. washing my mouth yeah. again exactly uh, so
1: imagine the opposite like people cringing and like cringing and like Literally doing things like this for me not to come to them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So here I am. Like, so and then it's like, it's like, what do you, it was like, you have that moment where you're like, what do you do? And it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep going. And it's, there are three parts to the act. So it's a long act. It
0: is a long act. It's a, it's so a long act.
1: So yeah. the very beginning of, so the very first part of the act, basically, I'm made to feel like a goddamn leper, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then the whole rest of the act, it's like, okay, like, just, you know, it's like, I just felt like I was going through the motions and like, and you know, you know, like you always know when an act doesn't go well, when you go backstage and no one wants to make eye contact with you and (laughs) nobody, nobody will talk to you. So that's how it was. And then like, I'm literally like leaving you know, like, because I got dread. I was like, I'm gonna get the fuck out of Dodge as quickly as possible. So I'm leaving and I'm getting all of my stuff. And the person, like, the person who booked me, like, it wasn't until I, like, I'm basically stepping out the door and all I get is, thanks, Ray, and that's it. <gasps> that was it. Yeah. So I was like, ugh. Ugh. Yeah. The only, I would say, the only time. Like, because I have bombed a couple of times. The only time that I think was worse than that was, it was in New York, and uh, Johnny Pork Pie's time Scare. and I bombed so bad there that when he went to pay me, I was like, "Don't pay me for this." <gasps> <laughs> it, was, it was that bad. I was like, "Keep the money." Like it was, it was awful. Like it was just awful. Yeah.
0: Okay. So my takeaways again here are all right. Even someone as immaculate as Raygun bombs. Oh yeah. But second, how do you recover from that? Like, how do you move past? <laughs> how do you move, how do you past, you move past, that? past that? How do you show your face in uh, <laughs> New York ever again? Oh yeah,
1: right. Uh, um, I see. I think that you have to. I think one of the ways to like recover is like you have to have a good sense of humor about it like because you have to like cuz it cuz a lot of times when you look at like what happens in a situation where somebody bombs like it's pretty fucking funny it and is. like and and if you as the performer like if you can't laugh at it then you're taking yourself way too serious mm-hmm. you have to be able to laugh at those things because that's how you're going to get past it and once you can see humor in it then you can easily like then once once it's humorous then you can digest what happened and then you can easily just be like oh well well this is why this happened and you know blah 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 and like understand it and then be okay but it's not until like you make it and until you can have a sense of humor about it then you're never going to cuz like if you're if you're holding on to it then it'll start to eat you up and if you stay like, oh, well, I can't believe this happened, because then you you start to do things, even like whether you mean to or not, like then it's you start to find other reasons why these things happened, you know, and it's like, oh, well, well, it wasn't me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, bitch, it was you. Like you were the one that bombed on stage. Like all that stuff. happened. It was you. Like, don't blame all these other outside sources. It was like it was you. You bombed on stage. Get over it, and then just get past it. You know, and just and then you'll learn and just learn from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, like last time we were hanging out and you were talking about that big bomb that happened. You know, we laughed about it a lot. I mean, exactly. I laughed at your story as yeah. you were telling it to like, me. Laughing it, at these bomb stories because right it's because
1: like because I mean I almost think that it would be it's if because some of these stories like. When you hear, like, when you hear when when somebody's like talking about it, and like, and they're talking, like, it's entertaining. Like, I would see, I would do a show where it's like, it's all bomb, like people talking about their how they bombed on stage because sometimes it's pretty funny, right? You know, and it's like, you know, it's kind of like I'm okay to talk about it because it's almost kind of therapeutic too, of course. You know, yeah. to like just be just to be able to own it and be like. Yeah, that happens, you know? Yeah.
0: Okay, so that'll be our first uh, Pacey Tapes live experience. <laughs> We're just going to collect a bunch of performers and talk about their bomb bombing experiences in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about a time where you didn't bomb. Mm-hmm. You won Best Boy Lesk at the Burlesque Hall of Fame in 2013. Yes. What was that experience like for you?
1: <laughs> it was good. It was cool. Like... Yeah, it was good. Like it was, it was, it was very strange. Um, like me competing for this. Like I had my, like I definitely had an agenda going into it.
0: An agenda. Yeah,
1: I totally did, and it was because I could see. Like so, for me, it was like I didn't care about like the status or anything like that. It was I. I quickly noticed that the only way I was going to be able to just be the performer that I wanted to be, especially early on, was to achieve a title. Because, you know, before that, it was, you know, like... It it, it was... Like, I I was always getting hit with, like, well, you should do something more funny, or you should do this, or you should do this. You know, and it's like... I was like, when was the last time somebody went to Michelle Lamore and they're like, you should do more comedy. You know what I mean? Like nobody yeah. does, like nobody does that. She does her thing and it's like, she does it well, Leave, you know? And it's like, so nobody, but I was getting that all the time. And so, and then it was like, I, I definitely saw that that was a way to be kind of left alone, I guess. Um, and it's funny cause after the day after I won, um, Legs Malone, um, uh, I was at the pool party and she had asked me, she was like, what's the, you know, what what would you say is the greatest thing about, you know, like, you know, winning? And I was like, I never have to, come January, I never have to hear somebody say, so what actor are, uh, act are you submitting to Beehive this year? Like, I never have to hear that again, ever, never, ever, 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 ever. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which is awesome. So, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely not a, I want to win because I want to be king kind of a thing. Um, And and then it's also, like, the... It was also, like... And this kind of started to come around, like, after winning and kind of thinking more about it. Like, the term Boylesque, like... Yeah. I, like, I'm just going to go on to... I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And my... One, it's because um, burlesque, burlesque is a community it always you know it always kind of prides itself as being like this inclusive, you know thing for everyone, yet it's it it segregates itself at the highest level, you know, in the sense of like, why like, and I get that, you know, this is a, this is a female, you know, a uh, female created and female dominated art form. I get that. Um, so not wanting, not wanting it to, you know, kind of to lose that, I understand, but to, but having to go so far as to having the, the male equivalent be called something completely different, um, at. At the at its largest institution, um, and then also like as a like as a black man, like the term "boy" has a very different connotation to it. So it kind of it's also kind of shitty to know that my my highest my highest accolades in this industry are super offensive, you know, to me as a person. Um, and it's, and for, and, and there is really no reason if, if somebody could say, if somebody could come to me and be like, this is why this is called this and not, but nobody can and nobody does. And it's like, oh, well, it's just, you know, everybody jumps on the, oh, well, we don't want guys to take over. It's like, okay, well then just, that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't make me, it doesn't make sense as to why. And nobody's giving me any other answers as to, you know, so it's like, I've never, since winning, um, like, I just refer to myself as king. Like, I don't like being a king of burlesque. Like, this whole boy less thing, like, take that somewhere else. Like, it's not me. I don't want to be associated with that. And, um... It's kind of, and it's offensive. Like I'm offended by it.
0: King of Burlesque 2013.
1: Yep, King of Burlesque. <laughs> so
0: that was very okay. You've definitely talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that again. Yeah, That's absolutely. A, a lot, and it's important. Mm-hmm. What was life like after
1: winning? <laughs> so the year after you win, it's like the, it's, it's like you're cursed.
0: Okay, like, you're not the only person.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. Everybody like it's a thing. The year you win, your bookings go way down, and it's, you know, it's. I don't know if it's that people think, oh, well, I can't afford them anymore, or like whatever it is. But like, the year you win, like don't don't expect much. Like just, (laughs) Um, but then after that, um, it definitely, like, the. I would say the, the big difference was the amount of kind of international recognition is what changed. Um, which that was that's a, that's a real mind fuck when so the first time um, the first time going out of the country and you know you're in a you're, you're really in a completely different place. And then having somebody come up to you like and recognize you you know as you know and know exactly who you are and what you do, mind blew that's what blew my mind for the very first time, and that's when I was like, holy shit, like that's okay i'm I must be you know I must be someone somewhere because yeah. In, uh, like in Italy, they would be like, oh, the viper, the viper, you know, because my act that I won with was my snake act. And it's like, so they would know. And it's like, so it was just be, I was blown away by that.
0: That sounds incredible. Oh, okay. So speaking of international travel, you've done extensive tours, right? We've mentioned that a little bit with Stage Rorjani's. You've toured a lot on your own or with, you know, you did a big tour with Bazooka and Lola and G's um, across Europe. W- give me a fun Tour story.
1: <laughs> so speaking of Lola. yeah, And so on that tour, so it was the end of the... So anybody who's been on tour with like a group for at any point in time, like you get to that point with everyone where it's like, I love you all, but I need my space. Right. I don't want to be around you. I love you, but I just don't want to be around you. Um, so it was that It was that tour. We were in Berlin, and we, we had gotten to that point. Then Lola and I were, um, we were going to continue on, and the rest of the group was going back to Chicago, mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody's like, oh, let's go out one last night, blah blah blah. Let's do this, and I was like, I'll go and I'll have a drink with you all, and then I'm out because I got, I'm, I love you, I just don't love you right now. <laughs> um, so, they all ended up going to this sex club um, called uh, Kit Kat. Okay. And um, so afterwards, you know, like, they came back and they were talking about it, and it was, like, this co-ed, like, sex club and everything, which me, as, like, an American, like, that concept is very strange because I know, like, American bathhouses, and it's, like, it's very gay, and, like, you know, there's a there's very much this kind of, like, culture and, like, kind of code and, like, you know, all of that stuff. So the idea of it being, like, co-ed and... it was very strange like it was a very strange concept to me and so um so the next weekend Lola was like oh we have to go and i was like all right you know sounds interesting so we go and the whole way there she's like you know she's talking this place up and she's like oh you know and like this happened and like it was very cool and da 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 i was like all right great we turn the corner and we get to we get to the club and like my eyes got as like big as like saucers because it was filled, like it was, it was like black party in New York, IML and like white party like which are all these huge gay events. Like it looked like all of that at once, and my I was like, this is not, this is not what you like what you described. I mean, it's great, and I can clearly tell that like this was not what Lola thought it was going to be either. <laughs> And so I was like, if you want to go, she's like, no, 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 we should stay. And like, she's we can stay, we'll hang out, we'll we'll see what's going on. I was like, okay, great. So we go in, and like, we're looking around, and this, this club is huge. And it's just, I mean, it's just filled, like, wall-to-wall with, like, dudes, and, like, we're, like, looking around, and Lola keeps mentioning, she's, like, I don't think there, she's, like, I think I've seen maybe, like, one other, like, woman in here this entire time, and, like, I know that, like, I can tell that, like, Lola was, like, she, she... Was she was taking one for the team? <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: She was being a great friend, Lola. Vanilla, she was being, she really was
1: being a great friend because like I could tell that she wanted to get the fuck out of there as quickly as possible. But she's like, no, 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 we can stay for a while. So we're like going around and like just seeing things. And like I remember, I remember at one point in time, we were standing by the bar, and there was this dude that was dancing on the bar, and like he he was wearing this thing and like his like dick was out and he had these huge balls and he was like tapping him on this dude's head and like l- I could see Lola like trying to like look at this up as like almost like this kind of cultural <laughs> you know like uh, oh that's very interesting huh I didn't realize that that was something that you know that okay that's something that guys do we don't do that in the Midwest <laughs> exactly but okay but okay it's cool no worries and so, so then at one point in time, like, so I was kind of making eyes with this boy and, like, Lola could kind of see. So she's like, I'm going to give, you know, she's going to give me some space. She's like, oh, I'm going to go to the bar and, like, get a drink. So she leaves and, like, I was hanging out with this guy for a while. After a while, I was like, oh, let me go check on Lola. So I go downstairs and when I go, she's sitting, like, so there's, like, his indoor pool and she's sitting by the pool and, like, there's this row of dudes on the side of her. And they're literally all, like, all got their dicks out. And they're all stroking each other. But still having conversations with people. And Lola's just trying her hardest to just see this as, like, the most normal thing possible. No big deal. <laughs> so I was like, I was like hey, um, how are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm okay. And I was like, do you want to go? And she's like... She's like, no, I think it's just no, no, no. And I was like, okay. And then, and then a little while, and then she's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go. And then I was like, do you want me to go with you? And she's like, no. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll see you. <laughs> Bye. Right, exactly. All <laughs> he says is that she's like, I told, uh, as soon as I said that Ray can stay, all I saw was Ray disappear into a sea of dicks so i gonna say that's pretty accurate <laughs> so that was my that's my tour story with Lola in Berlin at the Kit Kat Lounge um, cause the party that was going on is this big it's this huge yearly party called the Hustlers Ball mm-hmm. and it's like all the porn stars all, like every basically all the male sex industry is there for this, so it's just this debauched thing, and so, and I, I have Lola to thank for taking me for the very first time.
0: <laughs> uh, L- Lola Vanella, what a sweet baby angel! Uh, what a good friend! Yeah, totally uh, not the tour story I was expecting. Our listeners probably <laughs> definitely not expecting that, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. thank you. <laughs> I don't even know how to follow that up. Yeah. So, let's pivot away from Lola Van Ella and the (laughs) Sea of Dicks. Um, beautiful image, though, Lola Van Ella and the Sea of Dicks. Let's just say it one more time Uh. for uh, clarity's sake. (laughs) Um... Okay, Ray, you've been doing burlesque for a long time now, right? Like for over yeah. a decade, almost a decade, over a decade. Over a decade. But over this period of time, like burlesque has changed a lot. Lots of different things coming in, sticking around, or coming in and going. Um, and you've changed a lot in that time. Do you want to talk about like some of the yeah. changes that you've seen in yourself and in burlesque in this period?
1: Yeah, I um, so I think that um, one thing that I'm starting to see more of... Is um, there people that are integrating into burlesque are coming in with um, a lots of different skill sets, and um, and also different kind of interpretations of old like of old vaudeville basically, and um, there's a, a new movement that is kind of starting to take hold, and it's called new vaudeville, and. And I, I think that it's, pretty, it's a pretty accurate it's a pretty accurate term for a lot of where I mean, I know myself as a performer where I see myself as, um, as well as a lot of other performers that are coming in. and it's like they're bringing in circus and they're bringing in theater and different things like that. And it's, And burlesque, these are a lot of things that are always kind of clumped into burlesque. But not always, not always accredited in burlesque. You'll go to a burlesque festival, and then there's, there's a you know like you'll have a, a really great pole act, um, and it's like well pole isn't, burlesque you know pole isn't burlesque by, by um, the neo burlesque definition, you know um, so where does that fit? Whereas if you're looking at new vaudeville and vaudeville as it as kind of as a thing, um, it would fit into that because it fits into the, like that kind of the, that skills, those skill sets fit into that art form. Um, so I think that, um, I know I, I'm referring to myself now as a new vaudevillian, um, because I feel like that's a lot more accurate and it more accurately depicts, all of my skill sets and not just me as all of my skill sets and not just my stripping skill sets. Right. So, um, and, and I know a lot of other performers that, you know, are the same way. And like, you know, so I think that the term new vaudeville is, you know, is definitely one that encompasses all of it because just like, you know, vaudeville from before, it was all of those things and all of those things were fit. Um, together and it wasn't, you know, uh, it didn't kind of pigeonhole anyone.
0: You're definitely not someone who likes to <laughs> be in a box, yeah. No, right, I for, don't. you know, for someone who has like a gigantic metal box, you uh-huh. know, act know right? and all of that, you you don't, mm-hmm. right? Like, do you do you ever feel like burlesque in itself?
1: is limiting. Burlesque as any art form can be can be limiting if you allow it to be. Just from like my, my education and schooling and what have you have always been a part of the idea that learn the rules, know the rules in order to break the rules. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like j- like with ev- other things in my life I've kind of done that with burlesque as well. Yeah. Cuz I came in and I learned, you know, it's like I I studied all I studied the, you know, all of the, you know, four mothers that came beforehand and, you know, studied all of that, learned all of the, the basics, ideas, and concepts of burlesque. And then once I learned that, then I was like, okay, now it's time for me to break them. And so I think that burlesque becomes limiting when you stop challenging mm-hmm. and you you become comfortable with, you know, it being exactly what you know exactly what it is so it's like oh well I'm known for doing this sort of thing and this is what the people want to see all the time and that's the only thing that I'm going to do that's what I think that it becomes like limiting
0: mm-hmm. what do you think is gonna come from accepting this as your new I guess title who knows New descriptor yeah
1: I mean I'm just keeping like just keeping things open and just being just genuine and honest with myself and my art and like allowing just allowing it to evolve and to wear whatever it wants to be, you know. Because i i can control i can con- i can try and control it, but then I'll get bored with it. So um, I just I just let it. I I keep it. Um, you know, just kind of keep it moving, like. I've started doing, um, like, a lot of the, kind of, music festival gigs recently. So, like, Electric Forest and Lightning in a Bottle. And, like, that's a whole different, like, those are all different sorts of, like, the energy there is very different. And, like, the types of people that are doing those shows, it's like, so I'm going to, you know, like... I'm sure that stuff will have influence um, you know I'm starting to do a lot more stuff with the vertical side show so who knows you know and so I'm just going to kind of like let it be what it wants to be
0: Reagan Thank you so much for being on the pasty tapes. Uh, thank you for
1: having me. I had a great time.
0: Oh, yay. Okay, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Um, they can find me at on Facebook and Instagram. Those are the two big ones. Um, there may be more to come in the future. Oh, also the, um, the Vertical Sideshow. Um, you can find me... Um, On their Instagram and um, also Facebook and the website, which is TheVerticalSideshow.com.
0: So exciting. Okay, Ray, let's take Hudson out. It's time to go. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again, Ray. Okay, just an end note to this. After we had this really long conversation, Ray asked if he could have a second episode which I feel like is a very Ray Gun thing to ask for. I feel like there were a ton of things that I didn't ask him that I really wanna know about. And Ray wants your questions too. So if you have questions that you want me to ask Ray Gun for a future episode, please send them to me via email at thepastytapes at gmail.com. Send me a text or leave a voicemail on the Pasty Tapes hotline. That's 1-530-PASTIES, 1-530-727-8437. I would love to know your questions for Ray Gunn. Let's give him a nice, fun second episode. Why not? Another upcoming episode that I have for you is an interview with both Bazooka Joe and Ray Gunn. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I wanna send my love to Paul Lewis of Atlanta Knoxville. Paul Lewis was the very first person to sponsor an episode of The Pasty Tapes Paul actually asked about sponsoring an episode back in November. Paul has been such an incredible supporter of mine, of the Pasty Tapes, of Burlesque as a whole. Paul Lewis definitely has a special place in my heart. The episode he sponsored was with one of his very, very favorite Burlesque performers, Iva Handful. You'll be hearing an episode featuring Iva Handful in a few weeks. I also want to give a shout out to the members of the pacey Tapes fan club. Thank you, Pacey Tapes fan club members for your continued support, for keeping things fun, and for engaging with me on my uh, really emo finsta that I have. If you want to join the Pacey Tapes fan club, get exclusive merch, lots of other snail mail from me, see my finsta where I post pictures of my cat and dinner, and get in on the action where I'll post some bonus content for the fan club. Visit thepacytapes.com to join now. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. You can catch me across the internet at showmymore on Instagram or showmymore.com. Thank you again for all of your love and support and attention and for checking out this episode of The Pacey Tapes. I really hope that this brought extra sparkle to your day. Stay safe, wash your hands, and hopefully I will see you soon.
1: You have been listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My Moore, the steamiest Asian dumpling. This is Blanche Debris saying thanks for listening,
0: and see you later, ducklings.